Where does yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) I always laugh when I hear that intro. That's the voice of my co-producer and good pal, good friend, VP of everything at Voice America Radio, Ryan Treasure. Thank you, Ryan. So we have a topic today that's going to distract everybody from what's going on in the world. We need a little future vision of something that's going to make us happy and, and everything we're looking for. So question on the table today is, what are you driving today and who or what will be driving you or will you be driving in 2025? We're looking into the future. This is actually part two of a topic we did back in November 2019, if anybody can even remember back in the last decade. Topic is fasten your seatbelt, ready for your next ride, part two. And I have some of our previous panelists from that date on with me today. So let me read you a couple quotes out of the news and then I'll have my panelists introduce themselves. So here's a quote from The Ride of the Future. And this was an article from 2019, and it says, automakers look into their crystal balls and their shops to get an idea as to what's fueling the car of 2025. Most car makers agree the next 10 years will see more change in the auto business than the last 20 years. Okay, let's leave that one on the table. I have another quote from Infogram.com. This is a quote actually they reported from Business Insider back in 2016. Self-driving cars, once found only in science fiction, are about to become a reality. That's a quote from Goldman Sachs 2016. Here's another one. When you think of a flying car, one might think of the Jetsons. The company TerraFusia is working to get its flying car off the ground, literally, by 2025. And here's another quote from ThoughtCo, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-C-O dot com. In any major city in the world, you'll find smog mostly from cars, SUVs, and pickup trucks. But things are about to get better. The car won't disappear. It will just be powered by different energies and, in some cases, take on new shapes. So that's the lay of the land. Stick around with me for the next, oh, 55 minutes or so. Let me tell you who my special guests are, and I will ask each of them to introduce themselves. First up, we'll have our regular panelist on all of our automotive topic shows, Meg DeVito of the DeVito Design Group. We are also joined by Mike Lackey at SAP, another frequent guest on my Game Changers radio series. We're also joined by Marty Groover at C5MI, who's been on some of my other shows very recently and rounding out the panel is one of our mainstays for automotive everything bill newman at sap i hear that bill has just joined us thank you for that so meg devito you're up first meg please briefly introduce yourself just in case there's somebody in the world meg who doesn't know who you are and what you do why don't you tell us what your what your (laughs) relationship is to this topic welcome meg devito how are you I am great. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So I started in the auto- automotive industry in 1989, which makes me shudder in a way. I started in a pr- traditional way with uh, OBD2 and fighting smog and engine design. I then transitioned into high tech through one of the first people in Motorola doing telematics, and even then in IBM, one of the first people really working on connected car. So while I've done high-tech in other industries, automotive is my absolute love. I have my own company now, and I'm a board member of LKQ, which is an aftermarket parts company. 
which is looking at the future of their business. Um, and I've been a board member for almost two years. Thank you very much, Meg. When did you discover that you wanted to be involved with automotive? Was this a, a, a young girl thing? Was this something that you got into when you were going through your education? Just quickly, how did you get involved with this topic? Um, it was a way for me to pay for my education. Um, you know, engineering was lucrative. Um, everyone in my family was in medicine. I passed out at the sight of a needle, so not so much for me. <laughs> Um, not really good. So I decided, let's go and make money. I was good at math and science. And there was a school called GMI, General Motors Institute of Technology, that you could pay for your school and work at GM for five years while you, you know, got educated. So it was a fantastic opportunity for me. Good news for me is I loved it. Um, and I loved automotive and couldn't separate. Thank you very much, Meg. Pleasure to, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk about where you all are. I'll ask each of my panelists in a few minutes after we get started here. Next up around the table, we're going to talk to Mike Lackey. Mike, in case there's anybody in the world who doesn't know who you are, why don't you reintroduce yourself? Go ahead, Mike. Well, thanks, Bonnie, and it's, it's a pleasure to be here today, especially with Meg, Marty, and the rest of the team here. So my name is Mike Lackey. I'm the global head of digital manufacturing here at SAT. And I have the pleasure of working with our customers on a global basis, especially in the automotive sector. And I, and I think that, you know, someone asked me, what do you really do? I said, I get to see the future. I see what's in the plants. Mm. I see how they're manufacturing it. And then I get to go through the design and see what they're designing for the future. So uh, it's pretty exciting for me. And to be able to share what I, what I see as the future and what I believe is going to happen is, is, is quite an honor. So thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm delighted. Thank you so much, Mike. You're always a valuable participant on these shows. How did you get involved with this sector, manufacturing, design, collaboration, automotive? How did you get into this? You know, um, <laughs> I kind of grew up in it. I, my dad was an engineer, but I knew I didn't want to be a true engineer, so I became an industrial engineer or imaginary engineer that actually worked on the people aspect of it. And I grew up on the shop floor. Spent my career, you know, as a manufacturing engineer, and and then throughout my career moved into to do the software sector where I could actually multiply, you know, what I how I could affect companies, um, mm-hmm. and just stayed with. It. I'm a very lucky guy, you know. I'm, I'm doing exactly what I went to college to do, what I was passionate about. I'm just doing it now as you know from a software or digital side of the house, and uh, you know I love walking into the plant and and you know you, you know, that, that smell that you can only get in a plant and see the innovations that are coming out of these companies is pretty phenomenal. So yeah, I just I guess I kind of grew up in it and never yeah well I never grew I, up, so I never did I love what you so. I love what you said, Mike. You said, I get to see the future, and you said, I love that smell of the manufacturing plant. Never heard anybody say that. We may have to talk about that a little later. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Lackey. I can tell you're very upbeat today, and we love that. We're trying to keep everybody happy and interested and distracted today. So let's let's go onward. Marty Groover, you were on with me very recently on a couple shows. Thrilled to have you on this panel. And Marty, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, great to be here, Bonnie. Uh, Marty Thank Groover. You. I'm a partner with a company called C5MI, and uh, we converge people, process, and technology in digital manufacturing, enterprise asset management, operational intelligence, and supply chain and manufacturing. So our tagline is challenge the present and change the future. And I really believe in that. I'm a retired Navy officer, and I got to work with some of the best technology in the world while I was in the Navy on weapons systems and things like that. So I really got to see the future. Sometimes I call myself Marty McFly because I did see that future. And then I, I went to work for Caterpillar for 12 years as a manufacturing engineer and a, and a 
facility manager, and I got to use a lot of technology to try to improve those processes, and it's very similar to automotive. And now we have a, a customer that's uh, creating electric vehicles, and we're helping them for the future. So I really enjoy the future and, and look forward to uh, this topic. Marty, you sound like you're really enjoying this. You've had quite an interesting career, but I know on our show a couple of days ago, a different different show, I think it was one of my SAP Game Changers radio shows, you mentioned a, a story about what cars are doing, cars with sensors able to help project, predict, and plan. Oh, that was interesting. <laughs> when a repair is needed and where you should go. We'll talk about that later. Marty, thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today. And we just found out that Bill Newman is with us, busy guy, and he was a little bit late joining in, but Bill, we're thrilled to have you. Bill Newman, in the remote possibility that somebody doesn't know who you are, why don't you educate us? Welcome, Bill Newman. How are you? I'm, I'm great, Bonnie. Hey, and good morning to everybody, and uh, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be here, and uh, good to be with all the friends on the panel. Um, Bill Newman here, 30-plus um, years in uh, mostly discrete manufacturing, planes, trains, automobiles. I've been around a number of Large consulting companies, uh, systems integrators, uh, former executive at Volkswagen for five years, and in my current role at SAP, I am responsible in North America as part of our uh, industry executive advisory team. So like Mike, we get to see a lot of looks out there in um, across uh, across our region, we get to see and work with uh, very creative and compelling uh, different cases in terms of what uh, customers are doing in the automotive space to create new business models and, you know, really commercialize and monetize the future. So it's it's pretty exciting, and I'm uh, pleased to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, very much. Bill, quickly for you, I've asked some of my other panelists this. What got you involved in the automotive industry? Was it a childhood passion? Was it hanging out with people with cars or going to car shows? Or you just segued into that somehow? Yeah, so uh, funny story. I'll try to keep it short. Uh, I'm originally an airplane guy, so I grew up in Southern California, but it, you know, it's a great car place, uh, just like Michigan and a lot of other places. And uh, it just so happened that when I was doing my business school thesis, we were studying the automotive industry. So I got to uh, come to Detroit, got to study how people uh, made cars, built cars, designed cars. Um, comparing uh, how people did it in Europe versus North America. And, uh, you know, kind of threw my shoulders up in the air and said, gee, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. It's, it's interesting, but I guess I'll never build a car because I'm an airplane guy. And then, you know, 25 years later, I you know, met a Michigan girl and uh, moved to Detroit and raised a family <laughs> and, you know, the re- and, and stayed. So I guess the rest, as you can say, is history. So it's uh, it's been good. The automotive industry has been a great place to be in for you know, pretty much the last uh, three decades, so it's it's been good. I did not know that about you, Bill Newman, after all the times you've been on radio with me. Thank you very much for sharing, everyone. Let's go around the table. This is the part of the show where I ask my guest in advance to send me a quote about the future from a book, a movie, a song, a play, a person famous, not so famous, but not in their own words. And I'm going to ask each of them to, I'll read the quote and a little bit on the background of the source, and then I'll ask them to explain why they picked that quote for our topic today. And if you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the future of now, now. Now, now, I can't do it as well as Ryan Treasure, the voice of my intro. We are live, my goodness. It is March 18th. It was St. Patrick's Day yesterday, I believe. Yes, it was. I don't know where people were drinking green beer or not, but that's what we always used to say, and I know most of the parades were not held. But 
there will be a future St. Patrick's Day parade in our future. I know that for sure. So Meg DeVito is up first, and Meg has sent me a quote from Suzanne Collins. Suzanne Collins, very much alive and well-born in 1962. I get to call her a young woman, Meg. Suzanne Collins is an American television writer and author, the author of the New York Times bestselling series, The Underland Chronicles. And here's the one our younger listeners will know, The Hunger Games Trilogy. Ooh, here's the quote. Telling a story in the futuristic world gives you the freedom to explore things that bother you in the contemporary world. I love that, Meg. How did you find this quote? It's good. I don't know. I just It was obscure. I was just searching through more sci-fi kind of things to think out into the future. And I absolutely loved it myself because there are things that being in the automotive industry for almost three decades, I guess that is right, just like Bill, um, that bother you right, that bother you of why it can't be different. And we see the, you know, I saw the unrealization of a lot of the promises and telematics that didn't come true that now are really exciting and the business models are there, but the technology has caught up and the appetite of the, of the people have caught up. You know, a few things that bother me, like the immobility of parts of our society, seniors and disabled people, and the future of self-driving cars, that goes away, takes that right off the table. Smog, you talked a lot about it. That is a huge problem around the world. We're not taking care of the, the earth or the way we should. We're not being green-focused enough. Having electric vehicles kind of takes that off the table. I'm now in a city, like I've been in a city for two months just to kind of try it out, and the congestion issue is a problem. But, you know, when you're in a city with lots of public transportation or if the vehicle all of a sudden becomes an asset and not something you have to have in your garage, then all of a sudden you have freedom instead of being handcuffed. So it just, the quote kind of fit with a lot of things I've been thinking about. Thank you very much. I love it. It's it's an acknowledgement of who we are, even if we're not in a crisis mode, Meg. I love the quote. I'm going to use that in some of my quote examples going forward. Thank you for introducing me to that. Mike Lackey is next. And Mike, let's see what you sent me for a quote. Oh, this is from Carol Shelby. Anybody who saw the movie Ford versus Ferrari is very much aware of the story of Carol Shelby. He spells his first name C-A-R-R-O-L-L. Carol Hall Shelby, 1923 to 2012, was an American automotive designer, racing driver, entrepreneur, and author, best known for his involvement with the AC Cobra and the Mustang. You've all heard of Shelby Mustangs and the Shelby Cobra for Ford Motor Company, which he modified these cars in the late 60s and early 2000s, and he actually established his own company, Shelby American, to manufacture and market performance vehicles, all kinds of interesting things. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Mike, but Carol Shelby was Sports Illustrated's Driver of the Year back in 1956 and 57. Here is the quote. This is a good one. Every morning, I wake up with new ideas. I love it, Mike. How did you find this quote from Carol Shelby? Well, I think you hit it, you know, with with Carol Shelby being at the forefront right now with Ford versus Ferrari. If you've ever met him, he's a big Texan. He, he's, you know, he was bigger than life. He just, he just had this aura about him, you know, that, hey, I'm Texan and, and you know, I... You know, I have these ideas, and I'm not going to back down. And I think when you start looking at the future, I believe we all wake up every day with ideas. Some of us just aren't, you know, uh, haven't been in touch with ourselves to understand just how important that idea is. This is how we're going to accelerate the growth of the automotive of where we're going to be in five and ten years, is to wake up every day with ideas and challenge ourselves with these ideas, and that's how we're going to accelerate the growth. So, you know, you just start – 
you just start researching quotes, and I say, you know what, I want to use automotive this time. And mm-hmm. you have, a, you know, you have um, Enzo Ferrari. There's a lot of quotes by him, and that. But then you get to this one. I go, that's it. Every morning I wake up with new ideas, and that's something we all should be doing, and I think we all do. We just need to realize just how how big these ideas and how they can take a life of their own if we just, you know, believe in what these ideas can do and change the world. Wow, that was powerful. We all wake up with big ideas, and Mike, we have to figure out a way to act on them and make them possible, see the future, as you say. We have to see our own future. That's what this show is about, technology revolution, the future of now, and I like to tell my audience, if people say the future is already here, that was yesterday's future. Today's future, it ain't here yet. That's what we're talking about. Thank you, Mike Lackey. Marty Groover, you're up next. And Marty has sent us a quote from one of our favorite movies for quotables for the future. And it's from Back to the Future, 1985 film. It was actually a trilogy. The quote, I'll read the quote and I'll give the background after. A little backwards here, Marty. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. This is what Dr. Emmett Brown said to Marty McFly in the Spielberg movie, Back to the Future, before they climbed into the DeLorean time machine heading for October 21st, 2015. If anybody doesn't remember, Emmett Lathrop, Doc Brown, Ph.D., was played by Christopher Lloyd in all three films, and Marty Seamus McFly, the protagonist, is portrayed by Michael J. Fox. And interesting, in 2008, Marty McFly was named Empire Magazine's 12th greatest movie character of all time. So there. So, Marty Groover, roads, where we're going. We don't need roads. How does that relate to our topic? What's your future ride? Marty, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, when you look at everything that's involved with roads, I mean, imagine uh, if the vehicle never touched the roads. How much money would we save just on the infrastructure and the cost of tires and, and all of that? So, I I know at some point after riding a mag lift over in China before that that's going to be a reality. It's just going to be the way things are. So I kind of like that quote. Obviously, Marty McFly seeing the future. Uh, and the DeLorean at the time, you know, that's another story. Pretty good movie along with the Carol Shelby movie about DeLorean and what he tried to do with just the DeLorean vehicle. It was kind of futuristic. When I was young, everybody wanted one of those, even though after a while we realized they probably weren't the best cars in the world. It was kind of an interesting story. So I, I thought that was an interesting quote. And, and again, I call myself Marty McFly all the time from all the technology that I've seen when I was in the military. Now I'm just starting to be able to apply that to manufacturing processes. So very, very like cool. I yeah. love the quote. And I use the, I have a cover of the movie poster that I use in these uh, Twitter posts sometimes for this topic. Thank you, Marty. Love that. Bill Newman, here you are. And Bill has sent us a quote from Terry Pratchett, the author of Discworld. I never heard of this, Bill. Forgive me. Terry Pratchett was Sir Terrence David John Pratchett with the letters OBE, lived from 1948 to 2015, an English humorist satirist, and author of fantasy novels, especially comical works, best known for his Discworld series. 41 novels! He was busy. D-I-S-C-W-O-R-L-D one word. His first novel, The Carpet People, was published back in 1971. The first Discworld novel, The Color of Magic, was published in 1983. And get this, Bill, Pratchett wrote two books a year on average after that. Discworld novel Snuff in 2011 became the third fastest-selling hardbook adult readership novel that's a tongue twister, since they began keeping records in the UK, selling 55,000 copies in the first three days. He has sold more than 85 million books worldwide in 37 languages, and he was the UK's best-selling author of the 1990s. Why had I never heard of him? Here's the quote. It's still magic, even if you know how it's done. Bill, 
Fabulous quote. How'd you find it? <laughs> well, I was looking for some, I, I tried not to find who the J.K. Rowling was before J.K. Rowling, but apparently I stumbled on it. I mean, I, I've, I've heard of Terrence before. I was really trying to search for something that speaks to the fact that a lot of what we have in terms of technology is 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 not what I would consider new technology. It just hasn't been provisioned out into society yet. And, you know, from you know, the common everyday person who doesn't touch automotive and doesn't get to see all of the crazy bells and whistles and sensors and things that go into, you know, building robo-taxis and, you know, flying taxis and all of these, you know, cool things that we're going to, you know, launch into and we're talking about. Uh, it, it really is, it, 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 we're just not ready for it. I mean, you know, we've, we've, we're, we'll get into it, but we've talked about, you know, are people actually ready for, you know, commercial vehicles driving down the midsection of the United States or Europe or elsewhere, Asia, without drivers. And the fact is, is that we are doing that today. We can do it today. We can do it at scale probably in the next 24 months, if you believe some of the recent reports. Uh, but this is still like science fiction to most of the people who are, you know, working, working nine to five and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, driving a typical car and buying it and putting it in their garage. And it's just going to be a real, a real change up for society. Once society agrees that they're ready for it and we can put regulations in place to allow that kind of you know transportation to happen. So, you know, there is still magic in it, even when you know how it's done. You know what, Bill, that reminded me of people who are magicians, regular sleight-of-hand magicians. Sometimes you know how the trick is done, but the joy is in seeing it done well. Isn't that true, Bill? There's still magic in it, even if you know. Even if you're another magician and you see somebody doing a trick well, you can say, wow, that was Indeed. magical. Yes, you bring it bring Indeed. it down to its its common denominator. Thank you, Bill. Thank you all for great quotes. We're not going to take a break because we don't want to do that and spoil this wonderful momentum. If you're just tuning in, this is Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, episode number 36. We started this back in June of 2019 and amassed a global audience of about 50,000 a month very, very quickly. So if you're listening from somewhere in the world, we're in the United States, all of us on the panel today. I hope you're safe. I hope you're well, and I hope you're enjoying this little bit of distraction. Our topic today is Fasten Your Seatbelt, Ready for Your Next Ride, Part 2. My very special guests are Meg DeVito. She spells her last name D-I-V-I-T-T-O. If you want to look her up, DeVito Design Group, Mike Lackey at SAP, Marty Groover at C5MI, and Bill Newman at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Want to find me on Twitter, a.k.a. No, a.k.a. Radio Red. My Twitter handle is Radio Red 777. There you go. All these numbers floating around. Meg, you're up first. Let me start with your prediction number one. I'm going to read one prediction from each panelist going around the table. Let's keep the explanations to about two minutes and see how many we can cover because we have lots of time. So Meg told me the following. She says, the automotive industry will no longer exist. The car will become a machine of the blurred lines of the transportation industry. I'm going to stop there. Meg, please tell us what this prediction is all about. I have a feeling we're seeing it. You know, more people are moving to cities and wanting to move to cities from rural areas. They, you know, this generation, not such a fan of owning a car. You know, it, it really isn't necessarily, a, a, you know, a symbol of freedom. It's a symbol of entrapment. They find it expensive and cumbersome. And so I feel that 
it's really going to be about transportation, and the transportation industry will end up swallowing the automotive industry. I know this seems like blasphemy, especially from someone who started in the automotive industry and loves it so much, but at the same time, I feel it is going to be about moving people, people as human cargo, getting them from one place to the other, the mobility of it, and the ease in which they can do it. I do feel the car will become a machine, and we've seen it today. I mean, look at ride sharing, ride hailing. You know, and I know this is something that even five years ago we might not have done. Like, everyone on this panel might not have done it. Maybe because we're futurists. Okay, I'll give us that. But maybe not as readily. Now, absolutely everyone is using those types of service. Again, then the car becomes an asset, a machine, not something that I'm so in love with like when I was 16 and got my first car. Thank you very much. I think a lot of us got our first cars when we were 16, and mine was, I guess I got to drive my mom's car from time to time. Thank you very much, Meg. Mike Lackey, I'm looking at your prediction number two because I love it so much, and I'm going to read it. It's brief but colorful, and that's paraphrasing part of what you say, and ask you to explain it. This is interesting. You say, if Picasso lived in the future, his canvas would be a battery, colors would be his imagination, and the automobile his masterpiece. Oh, Mike, please tell us more. You mean, uh, well, body, it's unlimited what a car can look like in the future. If you think about a mechanical car today, it has over a thousand parts in it. Electric car has around 200. So you're not contained by the shapes or, or the aerodynamics that we were looking for to get out that, that extra miles per gallon. And it really hit me. I was very fortunate. Last weekend, I was at the Concours d'Elegance, one of the biggest car shows in America, down in Amelia Island, Florida. And I saw a 1958 Ferrari California Spider. Whoa. And it was one of the most beautiful cars I had ever seen. It was just the beauty of it, the lines. Everything about it just, you know, really wasn't an automobile. It was a piece of, of art. And... As we move into the future, I mean, if you're, you know, in in the city and you're going from A to B, do you really care if, if it looks like an egg? You know, it, it, it's, and I, so I just believe that in the future, the creativeness that our designers are going to have and the materials that they can use, that you're going to see more cars become artwork than just a mode of transportation. So that's what I really focused on here was just thinking about that 1958 Mercedes, um, Ferrari and how beautiful it was and go, wow, you know, we're not held to an engine. You know, you have the battery compartment. Why do batteries have to be square? I've seen the future of batteries and they can be in any design, any way you want. They won't be square or rectangular. And so why does the car have to be square or rectangular? I think the lines are going to become much more beautiful. And, uh, and I think you're going to see more art in the automobile sector than you're going to see a mode of transportation. I love that. Nobody has said that, Mike, in in all of our shows about the future. Nobody has said that. Fascinating. Thank you very much. Marty Groover, I'm looking at your predictions, and uh, here's an interesting one. Number two, I'm I'm just going to mix up whatever attracts my eye as I run through all of your predictions. That's a message to my panelists, Marty says. Self-healing vehicles. Marty, I think this is your case study story. Why don't you share it with us? Yeah, I think um, when you look at vehicles going forward, they're going to have technology in them that will prevent them from braking, but also self-heal when they have problems. 
Uh, I'll share a story I shared last week I think is very interesting. It's heading that way already. I have a BMW X5, and I was driving up the interstate, and all of a sudden the vehicle started slowing down to 45 miles an hour and trying to figure out what's going on. Of course, one of the lights come on, and then all of a sudden a voice comes over the uh, speaker system inside the vehicle and said, Mr. Groover, we just noticed that you had an incident with a frequency problem with your water pump, and your car is going to slow down to 45 miles an hour. Turn it back off, turn it back on. It should drive again for a while until that happens again. You should, it should be able to make it to the dealership that's 65 miles up the road. We'll have a water pump for you. If you don't, call us back and we'll get a, a tow truck. And I, I was absolutely amazed because when you look at a self-healing car, it prevented itself from damaging it when it got a sensor. Someone had to do a failure mode on that to understand it, and then they built that sensor system in it to do prescriptive actions. I found that amazing, and then somebody was right there to help me. That's that's why I like a, a good BMW vehicle. But going forward, I think every machine is going to be that way. I think they're all going to be built with a system that runs it, and, and even the electrical ones, and a system that uh, can automatically detect problems and do something about it before it ever affects the customer. So. Thank you very much. Fascinating. I was going to ask you if this is coming to vehicles that – I won't say mere mortals, but the rest of us, but not everybody drives a BMW X5. And if that's going to be something in the future, Marty, we've been hearing about this for uh, at least the past couple of years that a car will notify you uh, with something on your dashboard, some messaging, the the belt is about to, the dry belt is about to fly off and Bob's service station at 3.2 miles over on the right next to the McDonald's is waiting for you and they've got the belt and you'll be in and out in 13.4 minutes and have your credit card ready. Oh, we already charged your credit card for 2000 $973.42, and it's just it's just going to be a way of life. Thank you for the case study, Marty. Mm-hmm. Really appreciate that. Bill Newman, I'm looking at your predictions here. It's hard to pick one. I think I'm going to go with the second one. This is interesting. You say brands are making their claim into autonomous transportation. As an example, Bill says Amazon has contracted platform maker Rivian for 100,000 battery electric vehicles for their new delivery fleet, and Nikola, N-I-K-O-L-A Motors, are being contracted by Anheuser-Busch for their commercial class and hydrogen fuel cell-powered truck fleet. Bill, talk to me about brands and their involvement. This is very interesting. Go ahead, Bill Newman. Yeah, it really is. Um, So, you know, we've done some work with uh, platform maker Rivian, and, you know, in when we look at the auto ecosystem, we're really focused on a couple of different roles and not just everybody building high volume uh, vehicles, but, but even you know, lower volume uh, platforms or skateboards, as we like to call them, and then maybe they can lease and repurpose them to, um, for use and sell. And, um, you know, Rivian is this little company that had some really bright people that still do working for it. And then all of a sudden got a tremendous influx of investment capital. So not just Jeff Bezos um, showing up and writing a check for what, three quarters of a billion dollars initially in a first round, but then Bill Ford and Fox Automotive jumped in. So Amazon made a pretty significant order and backlog for you know six figures of these of these um, new of the, for the new Amazon Prime fleet, and so that in and of itself was amazing because you basically have just you know created a multi billion dollar corporation you know overnight that you know had a good idea and was in startup mode literally months before. What was amazing was to see how Amazon was branding it at the at the um, at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show in January in Vegas, 
And for the first time, and they had they had a prototype of what the new Amazon Prime vehicle was going to look like. You know, sharp, not not too unlike what it is today, but sleeker lines, battery electric platform, right? So it's you know more simple and more efficient, obviously, and uh, more environmentally compatible. But but to actually see Amazon carry their own brand that said. Amazon vehicles was 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 pretty amazing. So you know they were basically laying claim to themselves in a very subtle but distinct form of way that they were in the vehicle game um, through their work, at least that we know of now. Their work with um, uh, Rivian to build out their new Prime fleet. You know, likewise, if if you if you're a multi-billion-dollar corporation and you've got you know a huge transportation fleet at the ready, and you want to make a bold statement and you want to go into things like you know battery electric vehicles or hydrogen fuel cell powered vehicles, maybe it just makes sense to go deep and partner uh, and venture with a company. Um, to actually brand label your own fleet, and so that's what you're seeing with Anheuser Busch. That's what you're seeing with with uh, Amazon. Uh, and based on what we're seeing and how people are partnering at the brand OE level, I believe that this is just the beginning of how brands are going to synergize between people creating the transportation fleet and the mechanics around how you're getting goods and services from place to place and the actual brand owners who are going to be, you know, controlling whatever goods and services are being moved by that transportation fleet. So it's uh, some pretty bold statements. And, I, again, I think we're just at the front end of that uh, big wave of, of uh, aggregation in the space. Thank you very much, Bill. Very interesting. Let's move around the table. Meg, I'm coming back to you. I'm picking your prediction number three. Interesting. You say, we are human. And just cargo in the vehicle cabin. You say, we will buy mileage as a service. We will change our vehicle of choice based on our needs. A bird bike, you got to tell me about that, to visit a friend. An SUV to move ourselves. A city bike, which are getting very popular, to tour a new city. A zip car to pick up our groceries every week. An Uber to get to the airport. Sounds like a smorgasbord or a potpourri of choices here, Meg. Is this coming to a city or a town or a state or a country near us soon? Meg, talk to me, please. I love this. It is absolutely here now. So I am a girl from Michigan that relocated to New York and Connecticut probably about 10 years ago. Seems like shorter, but probably 10 years ago. But I have not lived in a major metropolitan city since I was in Chicago with Motorola in the mid-90s. So that's really the frame of reference that I start from. And I've been talking about these things, about moving people and reading about these things. Well, I, my husband and I came to Miami for two months to uh, maybe be a snowbird because I can do my stuff from anywhere. And so we, we picked Miami. We did a lot of research. And all of these things are here today. In fact, the bird bikes drive me crazy because people almost are really like scooters. You know, they run us over as we take our walk every morning, so that's kind of annoying. But if you look at it, all those things that I've listed – are things that I've done or been exposed to in the last two months live every day, all day. And, you know, I don't even know if I'm going to remember how to drive a car. I haven't driven a car since January. And so, and I'm actually going to tell you, even though I'm in love with cars, I love not having to have to do that if I don't need to. And all of these outlets plus more are really going to be available to us at our fingertips 
you know, and I know I'm talking about urbanization and people moving into cities, and we do have a very vast country across the United States and across the world um, where there aren't these kind of urbanization centers, but I still feel it would hold true that, you know, being able to rent a car even in far more remote locations or use it for a purpose, um, you know, unless you're driving a commercial vehicle for a living, right, that we will transition to just being cargo, like, and, and really picking that vehicle to suit what we're doing at the time. And I feel that it will start in those, these centers, but start to sprawl across the United States and even in Europe, and in many places in Europe it exists today as well. Thank you, Meg. Very fascinating. Absolutely. But what's a bird bike? Did you tell me what that was? What is a bird bike? It's like the, it's like a brand. So they have lime. They have all these different ones. It's like it has it's a it's an upright bike you stand on. It's not really a bike. It's a platform attached to wheels, and it has this like kind of you know center that has a handlebar that's at standing height level, and you kind of my word side saddle on it and go down the road. So a lot of them are supposed to be on the road, but that is a bit dangerous. And you go, you know, you, they go onto the, you know, sidewalks and, you know, annoy some of us as pedestrians. The thing is, though, you're buying it as a service. So you have mm-hmm. an app and you're connecting to it and you're buying it as a service. I feel like buying mileage as a service and all of these forms of transportation probably isn't too far away. Like we go to get our, you know, chai tea latte at Starbucks. Fascinating. The, the website is birdbird.bike. I'm looking at pictures now, and they just unveiled the Bird Cruiser, electric vehicle that's a blend between, and I lost my link here, so I'm not going to worry about it. People can look it up on their own. Thank you, Meg. Interesting. Mike Lackey, I'm looking at your four, at your third prediction. I like this one. Let's talk about this. Silicon Valley will become the great automotive innovator. I sense there's a technology theme here. Mike Lackey, talk to me. Well, I'm still trying to determine a bird transport, a bird transporter. <laughs> so it's a car with a bunch of birds. You can put some birds in the back, right? <laughs> right I'll think about that one later. Please. Right, so, uh, well, if you look today, right, you know, you have Apple and, and Google and a lot of companies in Silicon Valley saying we're going to make the autonomous car. Well, the autonomous car is given, right? They're making cars. But they're forgetting one thing here. And that's the legal aspects of getting a car approved and on the road. And that's what, you know, Ford and Mercedes and the automotive sector has been doing for the last 100 years. So what I see is that Apple, there's going to be partnerships. And because Apple and Google are going to provide the technology that allows these autonomous cars to operate, you know, where to go next and the intelligence. But the car itself and the production you know, I think that stays with, with um, you know, the automotive sector we have today. So I think you're going to see a lot of great partnerships, and Apple and Google are going to become the great innovator or the accelerator uh, to, to make this technology available and to drive it faster than we've seen before. I mean, think how quick your mobile device, your cell phone, became more than a cell phone. One day mm-hmm. you buy it simple thing to make phone calls. Next thing you're doing is phone calls and you're doing emails. And now you're basically, your smartphone is a mini computer that you can access data um, anywhere in the world. And that's why I see that, that this merging coming together, that the Silicon Valley and these great technology companies are going to really drive 
the reality of what the future of automotive is going to look like with their technology married together with the classic car manufacturers of today. Very exciting. Thank you very much. Marty Groover, you're next. I'm looking at number three. I don't think we've covered this yet. You predict mass transit use with magnetic force with no pathway necessary. We mean subways with no tracks. What are we talking about here, Marty Groover? Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after, again, riding that mag lift, there's no reason, you know, with the, for, with the technology that we're going to have in the future that you would need a road anymore or a path. You know, that's the biggest uh, drawback in this country to mass transportation. But imagine if you could just ride on any surface, uh, it would make the mass transit a whole different, um, you know, situation. And I think when you look at the cost of the infrastructure, that really make the uh, use of that kind of technology appealing to people. I think they'd, especially after experiences going through the Atlanta airport every week, like I do, I would love to have some sort of mass transit that I wouldn't I could just sit and ride in a very fast train and it could go exactly where I needed to go. Wouldn't that be lovely? You know, I still enjoy, not recently because I moved from Long Island, New York to Durham, North Carolina about two and a half years ago. I used to really enjoy taking Amtrak uh, Marty, I love the red velvet seats and the comfort level, and there was a plug-in on the side for your mobile devices right there underneath the window at every seat, and there was a comfort level and a quiet and a sense of elegance. They probably still have those, but I'm not in that area anymore. I used to go from New York to Philadelphia to visit my daughter when she was in med school, or she was an intern, rather, and uh, I really enjoyed those trips, enjoyed them a lot. So mass transit, yes. Will mass transit become more and more popular and needed marty just a quick commentary against what meg said about we will have we will be able to choose vehicles for each of our needs each of our lifestyles our our immediate needs whether we're going to visit a friend going to tourist city whether going to the grocery store you think there'll be more use of mass transit that the masses will want more mass transit like this marty i believe so especially when the speeds are able to get up there where you're you know yeah. your wait times and, and getting to where you want to go happens so much faster you're gonna you're gonna pick uh that that uh, transportation piece over a car because it's convenient thank you very much by the way i'm going to give a heads up to my panelists at the end i'm going to ask you if you have anything in your garage that has a motor in it or or wheels and and what you predict you will be using for your main transportation by 2025 but not yet bill newman i'm up to your prediction i'm looking at number one i like this one you say self-activating machines and bill includes robo taxis we'll talk about those autonomous trucks lights out manufacturing are here now and will grow rapidly given the impact of worker bio limits in the next two to three years and this was from a cbs news story bill said in on march 15 2020 bill self-activating machines was what are robo taxis what are we talking about here what's your prediction yeah so it, it was really striking because you know i don't think 60 minutes last sunday you know meant to really double click on this but the fact is is that you know when you need transportation and you know, maybe public transportation isn't either convenient or it's not advisable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being mm-hmm. able to have robo taxis come pick you up, drop you off, you know, in a in a safe, predictable, scheduled manner, so that you know, in current times, you can practice some social distancing. So, who knows what our cultural norms will be as we move forward? But it gets very, very interesting to consider that. We have the technology that we need in order to do lights-out manufacturing, which Mike sees all the time, day in and day out, and where people 
are heading with that, but also, you know, robotic process automation for some of the back office processes, and even how we get from point A to point B. So um, how we take what we are able to do now, and coming back to my quote, the magic mm-hmm. that appears to be in it, and yes. how we shape that into what our cultural norms and where society is going, I think, I think there's a real opportunity to do that. We're, at an in, we're, we're having an inflection moment so that we can really kind of come out of this, you know, this, this moment and do things differently in big scale. And I think that that's really an opportunity there. And technology is not going to be the limitation. It's going to be whatever we are as humans comfortable doing or not doing together in the future. And uh, we we do have the technology available now to do a lot more things without a lot of human proximity if we want Mm -hmm. to. The question is, will we want to? Yes, or will we not be given the choice? I'm not going there. Thank you, Bill. Meg DeVito, I'm coming Thank around you. the table to you again. Here's an interesting prediction number two for those people who still have cars or want to have cars. Some of us do. You say the dealership and service center will be a memory of the past. These functions will be automated at co-located distribution centers where the vehicle is maintained as a machine, maximizing uptimes as part of massive fleets. Meg, tell us more. This is very interesting. Please. So in my work as a board member of LKQ, um, they really, while they're an aftermarket company, what I've learned, I knew of them and was very happy to join the board, but being on the board, what I've learned is they're, they're not so much, number one, an aftermarket parts company. They're really, number one, a distribution company of parts, and then the parts come secondary. And what makes them stronger is their distribution. So I've been in and out of a lot of their areas, and I've been really thinking about the massive amounts of, of space they have. And, and they're co-located in the, the Europe and in the United States, right next to other big distribution centers like Amazon and the like. And they, they have their lights out in parts of them, you know, just to pick these parts. So if you take the whole idea of mobility and that really transportation is going to be about fleets moving people or the, the, the mobility of the person and choosing what, they, what, what vehicle of choice they have, and when they decide to get into a, a vehicle, probably electric, probably self-driving in the future, when they get into that vehicle, it is a fleet. And so I just began to then take the next leap of faith that's saying these fleets then can be, you know, serviced as a fleet. They can go right to the distribution center where the parts are located and get fixed faster, easier, and back out on the road. Again, you know, highlighting them as a machine, you know, not as a luxury item or or any of the like. So if you kind of put those steps together, it seems to make more sense that the dealership and the service center is really going to go away. And a lot of the things are mom and pop stores, right, of fixing things. And in Europe, you see this phenomenon of a lot of them, you know, going away in, in certain areas because the people don't want to take them over, etc. So if you kind of, like, mash up all those concepts, I think there's something there that we really could push on where we would be really increasing our productivity by co-locating these, these services together, and we would be maximizing, you know, the productivity of not just the fleet but the person utilizing the fleet. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting, Meg. Appreciate that. Let's see, Mike Lackey, whether we have anything. Oh, Mike Lackey, prediction number four. 
Finally, George Jetson, a sustainable car for the circular economy. I don't think we've talked about this yet. Mike, what do you see? What's your future vision for this? Well, you know, I, we talk a lot about how electric cars and hydrogen cars are going to affect, you know, reduce the carbon footprint and things. But we're also, the materials that are going to go in cars are going to be, you know, made of materials that can be recyclable. Um, and I think that's a big part of how we protect our environment here in the future. Uh, you know, one thing is we may want the autonomous car, and I, I agree with Meg and what Bill said and, um, and Marty McFly, that, you know, you're going to have the autonomous car, but you know what? I want the car that's going to pick me up. I want yellow leather seats, and I want this, or I want yellow seats, not leather, something that's more uh, recyclable, and that car is going to be configured just for me. So as the cars get more modular, you know, the life size of the, or the, the lifespan of the body might not change, but the inside can be reconfigured the way we want it to be. And I think the materials you're going to see are going to have a much more focus on the future of our environment and sustainability. Thank you very much. Let's see what we've got left. We've got six minutes left. Let me see if I can squeeze in one more. I'm quickly scanning what's left in my panelists. Let's see what we have. Marty, you had, uh, Okay, Marty, I think we may have talked about this one. No wheels required on vehicles. Does this go with our magnetic force with no pathway necessary for the mass transit? Same thing or something else? No, I think it's very similar. You know, wheels are a thing of the past, sort of like uh, carriages were. They got rid of, uh, you know, the people that had to make those wheels, the wooden ones. So I I see total (laughs) wheels going away. Don't need them anymore. Let me go with one more. You had your inter-vehicle collaboration and integration with protective shields. What is that briefly, Marty? And everybody get ready for your final question coming around. Marty, what you saying here? I think when you're interstate going, we're going to talk to each other and keep each other safe, and you're going to be able to get places faster because the vehicles will all maintain. And they're starting to do that now with adaptive uh, adaptive cruise control and stuff, but I think they'll all be communicating and it will like be one big Borg on the interstate, which will be nice because then you can all flow together instead of having people that are texting and slowing down and speeding up. Wouldn't that be nice? I've always been convinced, Marty, that on the, I come from New York in the Long Island Expressway known, known fondly as the world's largest parking lot because of hours Mm -hmm. and hours. I've always convinced (laughs) this is a terrible thing to say that there was one quote unquote little old man or one little old lady sitting at the head of the pack, driving at about 25, and nobody could get around them or was afraid to, or something, or they were having an argument with somebody in the car, and they just wouldn't drive fast enough, and the mileage was backed up, traffic was backed up for 100 miles, and somebody was saying, get Bob off the parkway, for God's sake. Anyway, I I just, I, I always wanted, even though I don't like flying, I always wanted to get in a helicopter and fly over the traffic on a Friday afternoon. I know they're all going to the Hamptons, I know, uh, but over Friday afternoon and see where the actual block was, who was stopping traffic, who was the slowpoke. I thought that would have been a riot to take a look at the one car that was holding everybody up, but dream on. I left New York and that's never going to happen. Meg DeVito, what will be in your garage, if anything, by 2025? Everybody else get ready. we got three and a half minutes. Meg, what's going to be in your, I don't, you said you haven't driven a car since January. Will there be a car in your garage or driveway soon? There always will be room for our 1966 Caddy Convertible DeVille. It is a couch on wheels with a skinny white <laughs> steering wheel and the dual ash 
phrase, and I fell in love in that car with my husband, and we're never, ever giving it away. Oh, I love it. What's the color of the car? Did you say it's white? It's white interior in dark burgundy exterior. It's one of the original colors, and we're in the process of starting to get it restored, and I, I just could never part with it. I love it. You have, please send me a picture. I'd love to, or post it on Twitter with, uh, with my handle, Radio Red 7. So I'd love to see that. Oh, let's go to Mike Lackey. Mike, what will be in your garage or driveway quickly by 2025? Anything or what? In my, in my garage today, the 1972 Mercedes 350SL in 2025. I will continue to drive that 1972 Mercedes 350SL because it is pure. Take the radio out of it and there is no electronics. It is oh. pure the way the automotive is meant to be. <laughs> there you go. After talking about future, you're wanting a pure, pure vehicle. I love it. Marty Groover, Garage, Driveway, 2025. What do you got? 30 seconds. Yeah, I hope to have one of those new Rivian pickup trucks. We're working there uh, <laughs> trying to help them uh, launch those vehicles. So I'd love to have a pickup truck that goes 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds. Wow! Come down here to North Carolina. They love to do 80 on a sunny day on I-40. I'm keeping up. Yes. And Bill Newman, Garage, Driveway, 2025. Yes, no, maybe what? So, yeah, we're going to try to electrify um, the new home and uh, maybe get a battery pack stuffed in the um, in the garage. Uh, I will keep my my current my current convertible we've 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 shared convertible stories on previous yes radio we have shows, bonnie yep. so mm-hmm. yep yep so i've i've, I've got a, a buick cascada they don't make them anymore it's an old opal model that's labeled a buick and it and it's it's just wonderful to drive and i'll keep that um would love to somehow aspirationally grab a karma automotive rivera 2.0 Get that thing charged up for a run up and down Pacific Coast Highway, up and down the California coast. Make sure it's got the little solar roofing so that if I don't have to charge it to run to the grocery store, if I'm going to take it to the grocery store, um, that would kind of be the aspiration car with a fully electrified uh, household. Thank you, Bill. And everybody probably knows by now, I'm on my fifth Z, used to be Datsun, now it's Nissan. I'm now driving a beautiful pearl white, it sparkles in the sunshine, red rag top convertible with red leather seats, 370Z. And I don't go anyplace much anymore because everything's shut down. No more running to the drum lessons or going for a massage. It's in the garage, but I love it. It's mine and I'm not giving up my Z car anytime soon. I have to do a quick shout out to my co-producer, Ryan Treasure, my engineer extraordinaire, Aaron. We were really easy on you today no breaks no stopping it was wonderful Aaron Keller wise beyond his years engineer at Voice America World Talk Radio I'm Bonnie D. Graham I'm so grateful my four panelists you cheered me up you cheered everybody up we needed that we needed a diversion and you're all so smart Meg DeVito thank you so much Mike Lackey very appreciative Marty Groover always a pleasure and Bill Newman what would we do about automotive without you on the show so to my listeners thank you for tuning in to Technology Revolution the Future of Now remember the future of now didn't happen yet I know we're all challenged right now but let's make it a great one and you are part of it. Bonnie D. Graham drumming off. Rat-a-tat. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.